along. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993 WBET. And hope you had a great weekend. Uh, on the program today, we're actually going to bring back the Speaker of the North Carolina House. We had him on a couple of days ago, but uh, he has, uh, in the meantime, gone out to western North Carolina towards some of the flood-damaged areas. So we're going to talk with him about what he saw. We're also going to talk with a friend of mine and a business owner out there, uh, Tim Glantz. Uh, Tim is in uh, Haywood County, owns a business downtown, was uh, trying to ward off the the floodwaters last week. So uh, we'll give you some uh, some details about how they are, you know, how things are progressing. There are disaster relief and recovery, some places uh, that you can uh, offer assistance if you want to help your fellow North Carolinians out in uh, the western part of the state. It's only about two hours away. Uh, I will say that uh, the organization that I worked with out there uh, over the past uh, probably, you know, nine years or so for disaster relief is an organization called Hearts with Hands. And you can go to their website uh, right now, monetary donations are uh, really, really valuable because, as is usually the case out in the mountains there, people, whenever there's some sort of disaster, people pull together and uh, they just start helping each other. And so they've been inundated with a ton of uh, the materials, you know, you know diapers and uh you know, first aid kits and bottled water. And so they've got a lot of that stuff when they actually had to stop taking some donations at one of the churches, which because it's such a rural area, a lot of the relief efforts are being run through churches. So, um, so you know, that that's a good way if you are looking around out there. There are places that are linked up at uh, newspaper and uh, TV websites that you can find. But Hearts with Hands, uh, they do disaster relief, like their boots on the ground. They're all volunteers. They've got a lot of experience. They can process a lot of uh, donations, and then they can go out and buy the things that are necessary at the time, at the points where they need those particular resources. So um, there's also, you know, if you're if you're going to head on out to the uh, to the mountains and you want to help people, they can help you uh, with that too. If you want to donate some time, right? You want to volunteer some service, you can do that with them as well. So uh, we'll get into all of that. We're going to start that about twelve thirty. First off, I want to uh, start with the. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine uh, update. So my opinion on this is that like, and again, I, I have the Pfizer vaccine of all the vaccines that are out there. Well, there's only three, but I've got the Pfizer one and um, they have now gotten FDA full approval of their vaccine under the name of Comirnaty, 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 Comirnaty. I really do hate the names of drugs. Just, I mean, well, I will say this. The illegal drugs, they seem to have way cooler names than the, <laughs> have you noticed that? I don't, well, anyway, the uh, this vaccine now has full approval. And I, you know, my prediction is that there are zero people that are now going to go get the vaccine because it's one FDA approval. And part of this is because I've never really bought into the argument that I heard people making that, uh, the only reason they're not getting the vaccine is because it doesn't have full FDA approval. I always heard those arguments from people who did not want to get the vaccine. I heard that as, I don't want to say as an excuse, but let's just say it's a, it was a convenient argument to make. Right, People who are generally limited government people who do not rely on the government to tell them what to do in all cases, people who... Uh, take, you know, non-FDA approved supplements, for example. Um, there are a lot of people that 
were saying, well, it's not even an FDA approved vaccine that now what that the FDA approved it. I'm supposed to believe that they're going to say, oh, I can finally go get it now that the FDA approved it. I don't buy that, but maybe we'll see some uptick. I had a friend of mine on. uh, Let me see here. I had a friend of mine on Facebook say to me. Uh, let me pull it up here. He says, well, never mind. It wasn't on Facebook. It was on Twitter, which really is. That's where I do most of my work. Um, he says, I don't think the, the zero, uh, the, that the population here is going to be zero. He thinks that there will be some people. There were probably a number of folks who expressed initial concern, and then maybe they didn't want to look foolish by admitting that they were wrong. And so this gives some of those people an out. It may not be many, but it's probably not zero. And uh, maybe Taylor is a uh, an optimist <laughs> on this. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I don't think a lot of people are going to be like, well, I was just waiting for the FDA full approval. Because like I said, I, I never took that as a serious argument. It was usually because it was usually coupled with an argument that it's experimental. We still don't know. And that argument can can persist, right? That argument survives because of the speed at which this one approval. So folks can say, well, uh, it's not FDA approved. It's not FDA approved. And then once it gets approved, it's like, well, but they did it so fast. They rushed it through. How can I trust it? I suspect that's the, the fallback position here. Um, but it is going to allow businesses and uh, various government agencies and the like to start now requiring um, the, uh, the vaccinations and it gives them a lot more, uh, standing and, you know, legal footing to do so. I suspect atrium health, uh, they put out an announcement, uh, about the, um, the approval here from the FDA. And it says the vaccine continues to be available for those 12 to 15 years old under an emergency use authorization. So 12 to 15 years old, You can still get your kids vaccinated like that at 12 to 15 years old. That's still under the EUA, the emergency use authorization. Um, But now it is the so the full approval is for everybody 16 and older. Reflecting national trends, more than 95 percent of hospitalized covid patients at Atrium Health are unvaccinated. Across the country, more than 625,000 people have died from COVID and hospitalizations have increased 800% since June, further demonstrating how critical it is to get vaccinated. So I got a couple of studies here. One is about masking, but one is also about vaccinations. We'll get into that in a minute. First, let's get into some traffic. Well, I mean, not literally, (laughs) but just hear about the traffic. Talk 1110-993-WBT. So Mecklenburg County's COVID-19 task force. Is this the secret one? Or that's the policy group? Well, the COVID-19 task force is hosting some town hall meetings. Apparently they are just interested in <laughs> being yelled at. Um, they are <laughs> they're doing three of them. Uh, so there's going to be one tomorrow. They're each at 6 p.m. to 7.30 and uh, you can get information at mecnc.gov slash COVID task force. 
And they are uh, residents are invited to participate in one of the three upcoming virtual town halls hosted by the Recovery and Renewal Task Force. So uh, they're going to be conducted in uh, the second one, rather, the Wednesday. So it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The Wednesday one is entirely in Espanol. So uh, if you speak Spanish, you can drop in on that one. Uh, this was created, the task force was created by the Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners on June 2nd to develop a recovery and renewal plan of action across 10 impact areas. And then they list them all. So there you go. They're creating a plan. Meanwhile, Mecklenburg County public health officials say they will be re- revising language in the public health rule to clarify that indoor mass mandates apply to public, private, and parochial schools. Everybody must submit to our order. In a previous letter to all families, officials with the Mecklenburg Area Catholic Schools indicated that parents and guardians would have the ability to choose when it is appropriate for their student to wear a face covering or not. Uh, So... I've got a bunch of studies, and I've been tracking this now, and now we're getting actually more and more studies about masking. And I am doing what I've been instructed to do by all of the people that are super, super smart, way smarter than me, which is to follow the science and the data. And so that's what I've been following. I've been you know, following research, and when new studies come out, I try to read through them. I read people who understand what all of the, you know, how the studies get built and how they're examined and I look into that stuff and I I read up on it and I try to bring them to you. And I also point out the way that the stories get framed. Like, for example, the and well, let me go back here because there's an email that I just got and talking about the uh, the FDA approval. So Joseph says we're getting full FDA approval at the same time. We're finding out that the vaccine isn't really that effective, at least long term. They keep talking about the mild severity of the cases. But the truth is most Cases of COVID are mild in severity, regardless of vaccination status. This is why in non-clown world, vaccine trials take around five years. Um, So my understanding, and so far, like here we've got the Pfizer shot, just 39% effective against Delta infection. This is the headline that screams. Everybody is sharing this story. Ah, see, the Pfizer shot, 39% effective. It doesn't actually do anything for you. And they're talking about boosters as well. So, one of the things to kind of keep in mind, I am at least, is that like I'm now looking at the vaccine because I am willing to adapt to new information. I understood the vaccines were coming in and this is, yes, experimental. Yes, we're going to find out, does it work? Maybe there are, because it, it works in other areas. I understand sort of the science behind it. So I'm okay being part of that guinea pig group. And if you don't want to be, that's fine. You can be part of the control group. That's fine for me. Like, I understand why people yell at the unvaccinated. You need to get vaccinated. Like, I understand that. I don't agree with it. I don't do it. But I understand where that fear comes from and where that anger comes from. Again, I don't agree it, nor do I support it. However, I don't really understand the unvaccinated yelling at the vaccinated. I don't understand that (laughs) that thing because, like, I'm doing this thing. You don't have to do it. And I get it. If people are yelling at you to do it, then you should yell back at them. But... Like, I'm not one of those people, and I'm not saying, by the way, that the emailer was doing that. I'm just, it's one of these dynamics that I've noticed that I don't really comprehend. I guess it's just coming from anger. Anyway, the headline that everybody is sharing is Pfizer shot just 39% effective against the Delta variant. But here's the thing. It actually protects you much better against hospitalization and severe illness caused by the Delta variant. 
which I think is preferable. I mean, it is for me. It is for me. I'm trying to stay out of the hospital because if you you go to the hospital, your chances that you're going to die go way up. Like, and this was the case before COVID ever existed. Your chance, like really, people die from stuff in the hospitals that they go in for that had nothing to do with what they went in for, right? So um, the the idea is you want to stay out of the hospital. Now, I understand when people were getting the vaccine and it was pitched as this is going to give us protection. This is going to act as essentially the equivalent of the antibodies. And now it's showing that it's not. But here's the other thing, folks. The antibodies aren't permanent either. Yeah, you do get lasting immunity from COVID-19. There's a this is a new study came out at the beginning of August. An infection with SARS-CoV-2 appear to have some protection against the virus for at least a year. Uh, A recent follow up of uh, recovered patients published in Nature magazine uh, or the journal Nature. Uh, What's more, this and other research demonstrates that vaccinating these individuals substantially enhances their immune response and confers strong resistance against variants, including the Delta variant. So that's another study. So am I supposed to pick like not to follow this one because it doesn't subscribe or it doesn't adhere to a position I've already adopted? Like that's not how science is supposed to work. So like I look at this stuff as it comes in and like, okay, well, it's the, the shots are not as effective against preventing the virus from spreading, but it prevents the more serious variations uh, or, or it keeps you out of the hospital. That, that to me, sounds beneficial. Um, don't know if it's going to be permanent or not, but I kind of view it as like a tetanus shot. That's how I'm looking at it now. Newstalk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Five people are now confirmed dead, all of the uh, out of the Crusoe community in Western North Carolina. One person remains unaccounted for at that uh, at this time. This, according to WLOS, which is the uh, the only Asheville television station uh, out there. The other two are, uh, I believe, out out of uh, Greenville. Five individuals have been confirmed dead, with the first four identified as Frank Mungo, 86. Franklin McKenzie, 68, Judy Mason, 73, and Charlene Mungo, 83. Their families have all been notified. And the fifth victim, Frank Lauer Sr., 74, of Crusoe, was located Sunday. His family has been notified. Joining me now is Tim Glantz. He is a business owner. He owns Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. And uh, he's a business owner, but also a resident. And uh, welcome to the show, Tim. How are you? Hi, Pete. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, certainly. So um, first, uh, tell uh, tell folks, uh, what did you see when uh, sort of started raining last week and you were out there trying to save your business downtown? How bad did it get there? Uh, we, in, in downtown Clyde, we're a bit downstream and, and we were a lot more fortunate here. Um, I was, uh, I learned my lesson in '04 when we had the flooding, and uh, we saw how close it got to the business. So I was watching the stream gauges, and for a long time they didn't move at all. And then all of a sudden, I saw just massive upwards movements because they update every 15 minutes. And so I came in immediately, was starting to uh, evacuate my lower level storage that uh, always gets wet, and then try to sandbag the store. And at the same time, I was listening to the uh, the scanner for the fire departments. Uh, for what was happening upstream and it was really just heartbreaking they were doing everything they could and they just uh was too much too fast for them to be able to do everything that had to be done yeah 
One of the and so this is um, near Canton is and this Canton got nailed uh, very badly. Um, I was unaware of where Crusoe is. So can you tell me a little bit about what Crusoe is or where Crusoe is in relationship to Clyde and Canton? Sure. Um, Crusoe is a community in the southern end of the uh, county, and it's it's basically a nine-mile strip that is in a a narrow valley that Highway 276 runs through. So if anybody has ever taken Highway 276 from Brevard to Waynesville, you've gone through Crusoe. And uh, it's very narrow through most of it, uh, with very steep mountains on both sides. And, in fact, one side is the famous Cold Mountain that the novel and the movie were written about. And they, uh, for a long time, there was a sign up that said, Welcome to Crusoe, nine miles of friendly people. And then somebody hung a a smaller sign below it that said, And one old crab, and the debate was always (laughs) about who that was. But uh, that really uh, takes the, the spirit of that community in, because it really was. A nine-mile strip, you know, no more than uh, a quarter-mile wide at most points with the river running through it. And it was all friendly people in a great community. And the devastation there is just, is it's amazing. So have you had a chance to go through there? I have not. They yeah. are uh, they are still limiting people into there only yeah. for people that live there or direct relief workers. And they're asking everybody else to not get in the way because there's uh, very little space for vehicles to move around and park, and they're still having to uh, work on road repairs and bridge repairs and, and a lot of that, because a lot of people lived in small communities that were across the river on small private bridges that have all been washed out now. It's one of the things I learned when I went to the mountains for you know the last nine years or so was that um, it's very different. Like the land use is very different up there because of the mountains. One of the biggest challenges is water and uh, managing runoff. And the flooding that occurs is because of the mountains, right? Like the, the water just picks up such velocity as it comes down the mountain, as it gains more and more volume as well. It just becomes catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. And, and this was really a freak situation as this storm came up from the south. The first really high ridge it hits is, is the, uh, the Balsam Ridge. That is where the Blue Ridge Parkway runs. And to the north of that is the valley with great, what they call Graveyard Fields and Crusoe. And it dumped so much rain in there so, so fast. Uh, at one point I heard estimates that the upstream, the rain was falling at a foot an hour. And that, in, the, that terrain is so steep that it all just funnels downhill and you've got miles and miles of surface area that all funnel down into a little narrow section as it comes downhill. The stream gauge there, the river is usually about two feet deep. Uh, the deepest it's ever been in, in recorded history was 13, and it went from two feet to over 17 feet in under three hours, to give you an idea of the scale of how fast it rose. And th- this is one of those things, like there's, there's very little you can do and you're a big uh, prep guy. I mean, you you own mil- Old Grouch's military surplus. You do a lot of uh, you sell a lot of prep material and goods and such. And um, there's like that. That sounds almost impossible to avoid. Yeah, um, a lot of people. By the time they even were able to realize, I need to leave, they couldn't leave because being that narrow valley, it's one road in and one road out. And uh, there was a massive landslide that covered part of the road, and it was kind of heartbreaking. I was listening to the scanner, and the dispatchers were taking calls 
from people that could see people trapped in cars or homes and the firefighters were doing everything they could, but they had to come back on the radio and say, I can't get there. The road is blocked. There's no way to get there. Tell them to do the best they can is all they could tell them. Which is kind of, I mean, that's the, it, it, it's once again, in, in all natural disasters, in the immediate aftermath, the first responders are going to be your neighbors, the people that are around oh, yeah. you. I mean, this is, and so you're seeing all of that firsthand. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in here, you know, all our firefighters that were out there, 99% of them are volunteers, and, and they literally walked away from their own homes and businesses that had rising water to, to help others. And then, you know, we, here in the mountains, people are uh, very uh, community-minded. They don't wait for FEMA. They don't wait for the state. They don't wait for anything. Um, the mobilization I saw immediately, I mean, the water wasn't even receding, and people were, what do we need to do? Um Donations for food, water, clothing for immediate stuff were so, so great that within 48 hours they had to tell people to stop giving because they needed time to sort everything. Right. Uh, we, there were people where communities were cut off. The entire the bridge that uh, they used to get to a community that had two dozen houses was totally gone uh, on Tuesday. And by Thursday, they had rebuilt it. Uh, no FEMA, no DOT, just community members coming together and one person that they knew had an excavator. And they got some culvert, and they rebuilt their bridge for them. Hmm. Probably no permits either, but that's kind of how we <laughs> roll up here. Uh, but it, it's been an amazing outpouring of support. And I, I also can't say enough about all the outside help. There's been a lot of help up here from the Charlotte area hmm. with the fire departments. I had no idea that Charlotte Fire Department had a uh, semi-trailer for disaster relief, but it was pulling here into it was pulling into Clyde before the water had even peaked. Yeah, they've and got we, their Swift Water Rescue team. That's excellent. Yeah, we we have Swift Water teams. I know from Charlotte, Mooresville, and Monroe up here. Uh, I helped the crew from Monroe. They had elected to extend for a whole week, so I got them. Uh, clean, dry socks and some other stuff. And, and they really have a tough job because they, they're estimating there are probably about 400 cars that were washed into the river, and they're having to walk downstream and check each one to see if there's anyone in it. And then all the big log jams, they're having to check and look for uh, victims in them. Tim, so uh, i got to go check uh, traffic and do a quick break. Can you hang on through the break with sure. me? All right, yes, yeah. All right, let me put you back on hold here. This is Tim Glantz. He is a business owner in downtown Clyde, and uh, he's talking about the flooding that occurred down there in uh, Haywood County. It's uh, complete devastation. So if anybody can help, if you'd like to help, uh, you can go to heartswithhands.org. That's their website. Um, also, Haywood County has set up a, uh, a help center, a website as well. I, I can give you that information in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. <clears throat> About five dead, or at least five dead, in Haywood County after flooding there last week from Tropical Depression. Fred, uh, we're talking with Tim Glantz. He is a resident, also a business owner in Haywood County, and uh, his business is Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Um and I want to uh, uh, just quickly make mention here, recoverhaywood.com is one website people can go if you are uh, interested in running your donations through the United Way of Haywood County. That's where you can do that at recoverhaywood.com. Uh, and, and then there's another organization that uh, I've done work with over the years out of the Asheville area, heartswithhands.org is their website, heartswithhands.org. 
Uh, they are a disaster relief organization, and they usually are sending their resources like down east for flooding and stuff down there uh, or hurricanes out in uh, Texas or something. But this is a way local project for them now. So, And they can actually help you if you are interested in donating your time uh, and uh, talents. Uh, you can go to their website, heartswithhands.org. Uh, so, Tim, uh, tell me, uh, first off, you mentioned you, re- you wrote a big piece or a write-up on Facebook, I should say, and that's where I, I, I saw some of the details that you were describing and you talked about how you said there are two kinds of people, those that were affected um, by the, the flooding and those who are helping. Um, and I'd say probably there's a third kind, right? There's both, right? People who got affected, but then also went and helped, right? So maybe there's oh, third. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I've seen so many people that uh, had horrific losses themselves and are still um, directing aid elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, I've watched people that, that had people come up to help when their entire house has been flooded, and point them down the street and say, hey, those those people need it worse. Uh, we have an old saying in the Army that leaders eat last, and it's an old tradition that the higher your rank is, the further back you are in the chow line, and the reason for that is if the food runs out, you make sure others ate before you. And uh, that spirit is alive and well here, I'll tell you what. Yeah. One of the other things uh, that I, I think a lot of folks don't realize, when you get up into the mountains that... When, when you talk about a community, it literally is a very small kind of a, for lack of a better term, a pocket development, if you will, because there's not a lot. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, steep slopes, and so buildable land is pretty scarce, and so you end up where people can go in and make neighborhoods. They're usually very small, um, especially in, in Haywood County, right? They're not going to be like these massive sprawling developments that we see in other flatlander locations. And um, But what that means is that these neighborhoods are more tight knit, but when something happens to them, I mean, it can, it can completely obliterate an entire neighborhood and like the entire neighborhood washed away, uh, in a storm like this, which is, I don't know if people understand that. Yeah. And and that's, that's close to what we've seen. You know, when I said Crusoe is a five is a nine mile strip, it, it is literally, you know, there are a couple little coves that go up off the road, but for the most part, it is nine miles down Highway 276, and what you can see when you look to the left and the right, and then steep slopes to to uh, both sides. And one side of it, the steep slopes are all uh, national forest land, and the other side, uh, a good chunk of it is national forest land. So it's just you know this this one strip through there, and that is it. It's uh, a trough. Get, get from Crusoe to the nearest grocery store. You're talking a 25 minute drive. Yeah. Um, so there was also another connection here that you mentioned, and you just mentioned that your time in the army, um, that you were, you, you served in Afghanistan. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you were watching and I'm just kind of curious, uh, you run a military surplus store. Now you talk to a lot of people that were in the, uh, in the service, obviously you, you deal with them on a regular basis. You yourself were in Afghanistan. I believe you mentioned also that that you that one of the victims in from the flooding was the father of a guy you knew in Afghanistan. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about uh, him and and how you met him? Yeah, that that was uh, you mentioned Frank Lauer Senior. And when I was in Afghanistan at a tiny little Ford operating base called Oregon E, I ran into Frank Lauer Junior. So we were two Haywood County guys that ran into, into each other literally on the opposite side of the world. <laughs> And so that was how I knew Frank Sr. 
was having met his dad, and then his dad and my dad became friends uh, once they realized they were both still here. Right. And so Frank Lauer was one of the victims of the flooding. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. also kind of curious what your what your thoughts are looking at. I mean, aside from the week that you've gone through, um, and I also you posted in your Facebook post that you had to put your dog down. I'm sorry to hear about that as yeah. well. It's and, been quite a week. Yeah. No, I, I, I can only imagine. Um, what is the what? What are you thinking as you look at what's going on in Afghanistan right now? Uh, to be honest, Pete. If I say too much, I'm probably going to get you in trouble with yeah, the FBI right now. <laughs> please don't do that. Um, but uh, all I can say is we've got to focus on doing what's right by the people we made promises to, and then once that's done, I want a full reckoning on who made what decisions and who gave what advice uh, here. And, uh, you know, I just, it, it, there are so many mistakes made here that when you look at them on a very basic level, I don't understand them. And they don't all rest with, with this current administration either because, um, I've known people that have been fighting to help their interpreters get visas for six, seven, eight years when they were promised them. I, I know somebody who, uh, his, his interpreter, uh, did three years of service with with U.S. forces. They were required to do at least two to qualify for a visa, and they applied for the visa in 2014, and he wrote his letter of recommendation. And it was only 2018 when from somebody from the State Department called and said, hey, we're working on this. Mm. And for three administrations, the State Department has drugged their feet processing this paperwork consistently. And it, it's just it is absolutely shameful that how it's done, and that's led to a lot of these problems because these people should have had visas years ago. We promised them to them, and they should have already been over here. Is there any? Do you have any idea? Have you heard any uh, rationale for that? Uh, bureaucracy. That that's the only thing I can get. You know, when 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 nobody when there's not any one person responsible for a problem, then it's nobody's problem. Yeah. And, and that, that's the case here is that it's a whole lot of not my problem. They created a pro- process that was so bureaucratic that nobody owned it. So, you know, yeah. it, it just drug on. Even when they passed a law that said that the state department only had nine months to process them, they, they never, they never got it even close to that time frame. Yeah. I will say there's a similarity though. Um, in watching what's happening in Afghanistan and also watching the, uh, the disaster relief efforts uh, in Western North Carolina is, um, I believe it was, it might've actually been Mr. Rogers, but look for the helpers. Like if you mm-hmm. want to be, you want your faith in humanity restored, look for the helpers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Tim, I appreciate your time and our, our prayers are with you. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your, uh, your story with us today. Thanks Pete. And, and the one thing I'll say, if people want a small way they can help, if you're looking for a weekend trip or something or just a day trip from Charlotte, come up here and just shop in the shops here that are still open on Main Street in Waynesville. Eat in the restaurants that are still open because that's where a lot of these people work. And, you know, helping the economy here in the county will help everything uh, in, a, in a good way. Yeah, that's a great message. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Thank you. Right. That's Tim Glantz from Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT. 
welcome back to the program the Speaker of the North Carolina House, Tim Moore. Uh, so is this a weekly segment, Mr. Speaker? I'm totally fine with that if you're interested. A weekly segment, you just keep coming on the show. Is that all right for you? Hey, it sounds like a great <laughs> idea, Pete, anytime. Well, you're not doing anything else, right? So um, exactly. let me, uh, so uh, first off, uh, I was I drove through Cleveland County. I was in your neck of the woods actually over the weekend because we're just moving. Our my wife and I are moving from the Asheville area down to Charlotte, so we're running kind of back and forth through the weekend. And um, could you get more stoplights in Shelby? Is that possible? No, I'm kidding. But well, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, we have a great bypass coming around. But you know, I hope when you came through, you you were able to breathe that rarefied air and get all sorts of great inspiration and great ideas because you know this is the home of freedom, right? Here. That's right. That's right. So. You recently, you and several of your um, uh, House colleagues uh, made a trip up to the hardest hit areas from Tropical Storm Fred. So first, uh, let me just, I'll ask you, what did you see and where did you go while you were up there? What could you access? Man, I'll tell you, we, we've now had two two different trips up there to, to see the damage. And the, the hardest hit area is Haywood County. And there's a, there's a little small community called Crusoe. And that's the one that was really hit the hardest, where basically you had all the water come down off of these peaks. And it was some of the reports of a 12-foot wall of water that smashed, that just came roaring down this river, smashed through a campground. Um, and that's where you seem to have had the loss of life. Some of the other communities had a more advanced notice to get people uh, uh, evacuated. But just uh, we're lucky there weren't more fatalities, but certainly our hearts go out to those those folks who lost their lives and their families. Um, but a lot of destruction, a lot of homes destroyed, a lot of crops, not only in Haywood, but over in, uh, uh, over in Henderson County. Yep. And you saw a lot of crops that were destroyed uh, underwater. A lot, a lot of people don't know this, but when a crop gets submerged, even if the water passes away very quickly, uh, those, those vegetables and fruits or anything grown can't be sold. And so you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of crops in the ground that were still growing, everything from tomatoes to peppers, you name it, and they're just gone. Um, you had some trout farms wiped out, but, of course, the greatest loss, of course, is that what's happened to individuals losing their life and then a lot of businesses in downtown Canton. And so we've committed to uh, getting resources there to help these folks. But what's been amazing is they're not the folks in these communities, they're not sitting around waiting on people to show up. They're already cleaning up, uh, doing things, but it's just, just unbelievable. And when you see this uh, uh, up close, it's just there's no way to fully describe it. A lot of large farmers have crop insurance, but uh, whatever claims they're able to make on their insurance, a lot of times doesn't make up for the profit. And apparently, this was going to be a lot of farmers were saying this was going to be a very good harvest uh, for them this year. They had a lot of good weather up until this. Um, so like, what, what are they, what are they to do? And what about small farmers? What are they to do? Well, they're, uh, they're even the, even the insurance that's there, the way it's explained to me, only about 20 to 25% of their losses are covered. So, and that's of actual losses. So it's just, I mean, it's just terrible. Um, and so they're not only will they not, uh, not get the profits they were going to get, but they're not going to get, you know, reimburse for actually their laid-in costs for everything for the time they spent cultivating it. And I, you know, we've, we've asked to see what resources can be made available to try to make these folks whole. Uh, but, you know, most of the crop insurance, of course, all that's federal programs. But we're, uh, we're looking to see what we as a state can do to step up. Because, I mean, these are 
you know, these are hardworking folks who are feeding this nation, feeding this state. And, I mean, it's just uh, they deserve more than, than than lip service. They deserve real help. And I'm certainly committed to doing what we can to try to help these folks. It's one of those things where you get a lot of attention for, you know, the tech jobs that locate here. But agriculture is still a massive part of our economy that I think a lot of people kind of just don't even realize, especially, you know, in large cities. Yep. Well, it's the. You know, it, it, it is the largest part of the economy. It's uh, it is the most significant. If you look at uh, the the product, the uh, uh, gross domestic product of our state, if you look at where uh, the money is, I mean, it, it comes in on ag. I mean, and, and folks, you're right. Folks don't realize a lot. Of folks, there's a uh, people. Some people think food comes from the grocery store. Right, well, it grows there. That's what I thought. Yeah, it just yeah, grows it, it, right it, on the shelves. It just, it just, <laughs> just magically back there in the produce section, right? That's right. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, did you get a chance to talk to people while you were uh, while you were visiting? And uh, I've always been curious, like what like, what do you say to people? You know, I, honestly, I like to listen to see what they what's on their mind, find out from them what happened here, their stories of what they've dealt with, hear what they and hear what they're needing help on, help on going forward. And then what we do is we make sure that we're getting that uh, to. Uh, uh, to, to the appropriate authorities or agencies to get that help to them, but just want them to know that they're in they're in our thoughts and our prayers, and that all of North Carolina stands with them. And uh, you know, we're used to seeing floods, unfortunately, uh, but where we're used to seeing floods in the eastern part of the state, and you don't generally think about the mountains for flooding, but it's just a different uh, it's a different type of flooding. You know, down east when the hurricanes come through, it's just wide swaths of area just you know hundreds of miles at times that, that are inundated here it tends to be a little more localized but it's but it's exacerbated just because of the topography uh, the uh, topography and it's just it's just tragic to see it but uh, you know we've we just really want to make sure they have the resources they need to be able to pick up clean up and and rebuild yeah it's a, it's a good point too also i think down east they're usually uh, the flooding is usually the aftermath of a hurricane that everybody is watching for days and days. And there's this tracking and like, you know, the uh, what uh, Joe, uh, Joe or Jim Cantori from the weather service, like a weather channel, he goes down there and he's like, that's when, you know, it's a real storm. And so there's a lot of attention, whereas in the mountains, it, it seems like there is some attention beforehand, but people don't realize how bad it gets until after it's already happened because it's all flash flooding. It's all after the fact. Yeah, you're you're 100 percent right. Uh, and and you know, there, there was a tropical storm that brought that first uh, first uh, batch through, but no one realized it would all hit at that at that same area at that same time. I mean, I think somebody told me it was 22 inches of rain were dumped in the period uh, within a 24 hour period, and that's just I mean un, un, unbelievable. Particularly when it's all coming down a mountain and funneled into one area, you can you visualize that just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, also, I would submit maybe part of the the issue is that I think well, I mean, I'll, I'll ask it like this. Do you have any idea what percentage of the General Assembly and government agency bureaucrats who don't know that there's North Carolina, that there's part of the state that exists west of I-26 <laughs> is there? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I've always joked that I have to remind uh, some of my colleagues that there's a part of the state that exists past I-77. Right. <laughs> um, but that, in, in all seriousness, I think folks get it, but but it's like anything else. You tend to be, you see folks more consumed with their 
what's going on in their community and not thinking about it. But I'll tell you one of the problems that uh, that that has been brought on by the quote environmentalist, and that is they they have made it nearly impossible to go through and clean up the riverbanks. And and I would encourage you and any of your listeners to if you're out and about. Look along a lot of the rivers in this state. Look along those riverbanks, and you'll see plenty of just dead growth, dead trees, beaver dams, just junk, all kinds of stuff there. And and some of the regulations that have been put in place have made it really tough for landowners, for farmers, even for local governments to go in and clean that debris up. And so what happens is you get a big storm like this, and all of that stuff that's just there gets finally forced down the river, and it runs into bridges, mm. and then it forms these big just just log jams, which which causes the water to o- further overflow the banks of the river and into flood fields. We saw countless examples of where that happened. Well, the the, the city of Can- F. Canton was yeah. a victim of that. We saw where that happened in a lot of the farming communities that were low lying areas. And one of the things that we've actually been working on before this happened was an initiative to go through and essentially clean the rivers, clearing the river, get all this dead growth, all these beaver dams, all this stuff that just kind of clogs up the rivers to get it out of there. Kind of think of your body and your arteries, right? Clogs aren't a good thing generally. Well, it's the same with these rivers. They need to be able to flow. And it's the same thing that we've seen in the eastern part of the state. Hurricane comes through. You have some damage on the coast. And then a lot of the more serious damage the last few times has been inland where the water dumped a lot of rain, and then it couldn't filter out and get out to the ocean. It's got, it just The rivers aren't flowing like they're supposed to. So that's actually an initiative that we are presently working on, but we're having to get clearance through uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the EPA, all these agencies. And it's something that should be easy, but it, it's been made extremely hard. Yeah. Uh, North Carolina Speaker of the House, Tim Moore from Cleveland County. Thanks so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Anything else you want to add you think is important or interesting to note here before we let you go? Well, I don't know if you've been following this most recent case that just came out uh, about felons and voting. Um, there, it has been the longstanding uh, law in this state uh, for decades that when someone is, is on probation for a felony uh, or on parole that they don't get to vote. Um, and now this uh, a pretty, uh, what I would say, liberal panel has just thrown that out and has basically thrown open, as I read it, where anybody could vote, even someone parole, uh, possibly even someone still in prison hmm. uh, would have the right to vote. Uh, and so this is just un- unbelievable, this decision. It's just come out from a three-judge panel, and so we are looking at it, uh, the General Assembly is, and we're going to uh, be taking this case all the way up to the uh, uh, to the appellate courts. But uh, that's something that's just now getting some traction or getting some news coverage and encourage you to look at it. And I, I submit that uh, folks are going to be absolutely shocked at how far left uh, some of these judges have gone on some of these decisions. I'm, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm not shocked anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we, we we should be right. We shouldn't have to be seeing this stuff happen. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, uh, you know, th- this this being supported by the you know the same administration that wants to tell you uh, that you have to wear a mask, that wants to try to force and, and limit what uh, law-abiding citizens are doing yet throw open the doors for the prisons and the jails and let folks who are in prison on felons, uh, in prison on felonies just uh, go vote. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's just it's like the world's turned upside down with this, this crowd that's in charge right now from Biden on down. 
Yeah, I, uh, I I'm sure sheriffs are really excited about that ruling too. That's going to be uh, yeah, they're, they're running the jails. I'm sure there won't be any kind of voting against them. <laughs> no, of course not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, uh, thanks so much for your time, Mr. Speaker. As always. Good to be with you today. Take right, care. Take care. Let's head on over to get a check on the traffic with Boomer Von Cannon. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. And folks out in Western North Carolina, they they need your help after uh, Tropical Storm Fred dumped a ton of water on them, washing away entire communities, hundreds of homes uh, swept away or damaged, five people dead, um, that believe they're still looking for uh, one other person. Uh, One of the uh, organizations that I've worked with in the past, but uh, as boots on the ground doing work in uh, not just uh, in Western North Carolina, it's where they're located. Uh, They go all over the place. And I want to welcome to the program Dr. Greg Lentz. uh, And he is the, uh, well, what's your official title with Hearts with with Hands is the organization, heartswithhands.org. Dr. Lentz, welcome to the show. What's your official title there? Are you the executive director or the director or man in charge? What's your title? Or 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 no title. Hello, Doctor Lentz. Tom, I need you to run over there. And... Okay, he's obviously directing. He's obviously directing operations. He's literally on the ground out there. So we'll see if he's uh, if he's able to get to the phone. So Hearts with Hands is a it was uh, actually founded following Hurricane Andrew back in 1992, and uh, it is a Christian but non denominational humanitarian, nonprofit, 501c3 charitable organization. And uh, they do physical, spiritual, medical, economic, and uh, other types of relief to uh, victims of poverty, but also also natural disaster or famine. So they, they go into these areas. And this is just one organization. Like I said, I know this organization. I'd worked with them in the past. Uh, and when they're not responding to disasters, they're doing anti-poverty type of work, um, but during these these times of natural disaster, they then spring into action and uh, uh, all volunteers. And so uh, let me see if we got him now. Dr. Lentz, are you with me? I'm here. Hey. How you I, doing? I'm doing fine. I understand you're busy, and I certainly appreciate you taking just a couple minutes to tell us about uh, so sort of what you're, uh, what you're seeing on the ground there, but also what the need is uh, and how people can help. Well, one of the things, Pete, that we've been doing since the uh, storm hit here in Haywood County, uh, definitely checking on Buncombe, Transylvania, and then Haywood is the most affected area that was hit. And so we came over and set up our brand-new uh, kitchen trailer. Uh, Hearts of Hands always done the food supplies and uh, water, hygiene kits, all of those things. But this year we're adding this brand-new kitchen trailer to the mix. And then what the purpose of that was, was trying to help feed first responders, rescue workers, all those folks that's here on the first phase of this to help rescue our folks. So we've been doing that over the last five days. And uh, I think we did 1,500 meals yesterday and on track to do about that today. So uh, that's uh, a very big portion of, you know, being able to help the folks here and then get our workers in and out safely. And then we'll have other groups start coming in, doing the cleanup and, you know, those kind of things starting today mm-hmm. on through. 
And so it's been very busy. Had a lot of folks come through as far as the distribution site as well as the food site as well. So for folks in the Charlotte area who are not aware of your operations, you guys operate a warehouse. You also um, uh, you do you know normal work throughout the year, but you also then respond to disasters. Correct. So since Hurricane um, Andrew hit southern Florida in uh, Homestead, we've been in existence since that time, 1992. And we try to go uh, first, uh, first stage folks going straight in right after the storm, trying to help them and begin to work on them to uh, be able to take care of all of those that that uh, that are uh, working on the storm. And then we go straight in trying to help the folks that's been devastated. And we take water, food, uh, uh, non-perishable food boxes, hygiene kits. Uh, diaper kits, all of those things that are needed so desperately if a family's lost everything. And so we try to respond quickly in that manner. And then you have your phase as far as those folks coming in doing the cleanup and uh, muck outs as far as the blood flooding and things of that nature. How bad is it? I mean, I think because people's attention span and, you know, the media uh, news well, cycle being like, what it is. Uh, while we are sitting here, they're bringing rollbacks in and what you would say your vehicle that you depend on every day is now crushed because of the flood and the trees and debris. Uh, one of the mobile home parks we went through um, used to be multiple sites and now at the end of the street where it washed them all to, they're packed up and, and stacked on top of each other. Uh, cars smashed, homes demolished, mobile uh, RV parks are totally gone, uh, houses off their foundation, and they, are been, they have been rebuilding bridges and things of that nature that were washed away. And so the infrastructure, a lot of that here, especially where we're at, a Crusoe area, uh, has been decimated. So it's taken them this long just to get away in. Uh, to a lot of these areas and try to begin to assess the damage and assess the situation. And so I commend the work crews. I commend DOT, uh, emergency management, all these folks that have done such a phenomenal job, you know, working tirelessly night and day, uh, trying to get power restored, trying to get bridges open, uh, trying to do things like that. So if folks get this see in their eyes, you know, that the, the, what we know is our infrastructure. What if that was taken from you in Charlotte? Mm-hmm. Look at the nightmare, the traffic jam, the the you know the chaos it would cause when every road is closed, or uh, you know a house is sitting in the middle of the road that's not supposed to be there, and that's what you're dealing with. So it takes them a little while to get those type situations cleaned up, and then you know folks have been not driving to get water, not driving to get food boxes, not driving to get hygiene kits. They've been walking, you know, through the, the treacherous terrain because Charlotte, if everybody this can see this picture, Charlotte is, is we're flat country mm-hmm. as, as most part. And then you come up to the mountains, uh, you know, folks may be up on the side of the hill, their driveway comes in the flat land and goes up, well, they have no way to get out because their their driveway, what used to be the creek that ran under that, became a river. 
and washed everything in front of them away. So uh, when the flood stage of, of uh, the river went from a normal setting to over 22 feet on top of that, it was like a tsunami wave of water that came through. Yeah. So how can people, before we let you run, uh, how can people help you guys? Well, the best way, if they would like to go to heartswithhands.org, they can give uh, online, and everything they give is tax deductible and helps us, helps us to do the response that we're doing, uh, the diesel fuel to keep the refrigerated trailers going, the food trailers going, all of those things. And just like we brought an entire tractor-trailer load of ice over, uh, because they had no resources. So this is helping to fill up their coolers. So that way at least they can save uh, some of their goods and some of their things like that. So if they want to uh, go to heartstands.org, get all the pertinent information, they can write to us, they can call the office. And uh, the best way is to donate online. And then that helps us to be able to take care of getting the supplies that are needed, uh, helps us to buy the fuel, getting into the community, and try to do our best to help as best we can. Dr. Greg Lentz uh, from Hearts with Hands, heartswithhands.org. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for sharing it with us, and God bless to you and the work that you guys are doing. Hey, thank you, Pete, and thank you for all you do. All right, take care, sir. Pete Callender here. So uh, the United Way is coordinating financial contributions out west. Uh, that is with the website and the local uh, emergency management organization, um, there it is, recoverhaywood.com, recoverhaywood.com. Uh, donations that are not earmarked for a specific need are the most useful since they can be applied to any function. Um, so that's one way if you want to uh, to help. The other way is Hearts with Hands. We just heard from Dr. Greg Lentz, and um, this is the organization that, that I'm familiar with. And so, like, if you're, like, wondering... I don't want to say it's like my endorsement because everything I think helps, but I, this is the one that I have personal experience with. So if you're looking for that kind of assurance, like this money is going to go to the people who actually do work on the ground. Uh, so like they do take up collections and stuff. So if you want to do one of their boxes, you can do that. They've got like the, uh, how to build one of the boxes and you can mail it uh, like all the stuff that goes in, you know, deodorant and shampoo and that sort of stuff. But, uh, or you could just send the money and then they will, build the boxes. They've got a warehouse in uh, Asheville, but it also helps to support the actual disaster relief operations that they deploy, uh, not just right now in Western North Carolina and Haywood County, which by the way, like if you've ever gone out to the Harris Cherokee Casino, if you've ever gone out there, you've gone right through this area. Like, you know, Haywood County, you've been through it. Uh, If you've ever gone, you know, off uh, through I-40 into Tennessee, you've gone through this area. And that's the area that was uh, just devastated. It's just, and they're not, a lot of these relief efforts are getting run through churches because that's, they're very small communities, very small towns and counties. Uh, and that's sort of the hub of the community. And so that's where they're running a lot of their disaster relief out of. So it's been one of the challenges in trying to coordinate, try to find, you know, organizations to send or to give you information on so you can help. It's one of the challenges and it's, you know, it takes a while to find these organizations. So Hearts with Hands is just the one that I know of. And so if you are looking to help, this is a way to help. Heartswithhands.org. Um, all right, let me jump over here to the phones here. 704 5711 
1-800-WBT-1110. This is Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Pete. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, sure. Hey, Pete, I, I, uh, I called in about a week or so ago, and uh, I gave you some grief <laughs> over, uh, yes. over the cyber uh, symposium that Mike Lindell presented. Yes. And um, I, I, gave, I gave you a hard time, and I feel like I owe you an apology. Um, I, I didn't give you a fair shake, and I, I attacked you personally, and I was immediately convicted, um, and I felt horrible about it. And so I just want to take some time to, to call in and, 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 and give you a sincere apology and tell you that um, I, I felt horrible, and I, I really felt like I, uh, I didn't give you a fair shake there, and I, I hope you accept the apology. I don't think I have ever had anybody ever do this for me in 20 years. <laughs> of course. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate it. I, I didn't take it personally. I'm like, uh, this is the job is what it is. And this is, you know, we do what we do and I never think anything of it, but I, I do appreciate it. And you don't have to worry about it. I mean, it's, it's not anything that like people have their opinions. And usually like when I get those types of uh, calls and criticism, I, I usually end up talking to the people, you know, a month or two down the road anyway. <laughs> so it's, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. It's, it's totally fine. I appreciate, I appreciate you making the call though. Well, absolutely. And, and, uh, and I just, I just, I felt horrible about it. And, um, well, don't feel horrible about it. Don't feel horrible. Well, you're, about doing, it. you're doing a great job by the way. And, um, and so I, I didn't want uh, – I don't like it when I hear folks call in and attack people personally. Stay, stay. And I did exactly what I don't like to see other folks do. And you, you didn't deserve it. And you discredit, really, the position you're taking uh, when you start attacking folks personally. And so um, I, I just wanted to extend an apology. And, and maybe if, if you're so inclined – Go out and give that uh, the stuff that we were talking about, the cybersecurity stuff. Mm -hmm. Just go out and give it another look and see what you think. Um, and hopefully, my uh, doing a lousy job of representing that position didn't just completely discredit it in your mind. No, uh, no, but, it was discredited in my mind long before we talked. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, I I did see I did see something after we had spoken about how it kind of went off the rails to some degree. But no, like I said, I, I'm always open to be convinced, to be persuaded if the evidence leads me there. Um, and. Uh, and and I don't know all of the the technical side of that stuff, so I am admittedly at a loss to be guided because I don't know if somebody's going to misguide me. You know, that's part of the problem. Right, right. It's, and the same thing with the COVID stuff. I I don't I, when I when I can't trust. And this I think is the problem with the with almost everything writ large now in our societies. We we don't trust anymore these institutions and the people that used to. We used to be able to rely on, or at least we thought we could rely on them. And maybe this was, you know, the, this great awakening now is like we realize we never could trust a lot of these people in the first place. But I don't know. I, I kind of get a sense that there has been a trust that's been broken, right? I, I kind of feel like that. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's a real problem now. Well, I couldn't agree more. And and, and the, the the root cause of this uh this distrust that we're seeing, and, and it's in all aspects of society. It's in the media, um, but, but Americans can make really good decisions on on who to elect to to lead us if they have the proper information. And it seems to me, I'm 50 years old. It seems to me in the last 20 years that we have been fed so much misinformation that we yeah, we honestly just don't know who to believe. Yeah. 
And 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 so we so so your healthy skepticism is is in fact healthy, and we're all told to exercise discernment. In the good book, it tells us, you know, let no man deceive you. Exercise discernment, and and some of this some of the chaos that's ensuing as a result of all the misinformation that causes the arguments, right, that you and I had on the air a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, because no one knows who to trust. Right. No one knows if if what they're being told is the truth. And I, and, and I know that Vince sometimes discusses matters, spiritual matters, and, you know, is America under judgment because we betrayed the yeah. good Lord's word for so long? Um but I, I would like to see personally um, some folks in your position. Like I said, Vince does it a, a little bit. Rush did it a little bit, but not not a lot. But just start addressing this from you know why is America in such chaos right now? What what is this a spiritual situation? And because I really think it couldn't be more obvious, especially if you if you compare to what's happening today with some of the some of the scriptures in the book of Daniel and the book mm-hmm. of Revelation this is important stuff and and people are looking for answers but honestly because people have such a a lack of understanding of of holy scripture these days they're looking for secular answers to spiritual problems and and most folks that have have uh, a big microphone who can actually explain this to them. They choose not to because they don't want to be attacked. They don't want to be canceled. Um, well, it's not. It's so- it's not simply attacked or canceled, uh, Stephen. And I got to run, but I, I appreciate the call. And uh, yes, I accept the apology. But the uh, it's not necessarily that. It's that you're you're you are talking to a smaller and smaller population. And in this line of work, this job. Um, you want to talk to as many people as possible. That's the idea. Um, but I appreciate the call, and you're free to call in anytime you want. There's no hard feelings. Um, no hard feelings with Boomer Von Cannon, even though he tells us lots of bad stuff all the time about traffic. Talk 1110-993-WBT. This is a ridiculous story. This is just an absolutely ridiculous story. Out of Alabama, a homeowner was shot while defending his home against somebody he thought to be an intruder. Only it turned out that the alleged assailant was his wife's boyfriend, who had been secretly living in the home for more than a year. What? There's wait. How how big is your house? How big is your house that you can have a person living in it for a year and you not know it? The bizarre story unfolding in Criola, Alabama, has stunned neighbors and baffled investigators who now suggest the attack may have been part of a murder for hire plot. WALA TV reported that Frank Reeves was shot during a gunfight with 53-year-old Michael Amaker. Reeves was reportedly struck in the chest, Amaker in the leg and elbow. Both men were taken to the hospital. In the ensuing investigation, Mobile County Sheriff's deputies determined that Reeves was alerted to the attack by his own wife, Tracy. Okay, so you got Frank and Tracy. They're married. Tracy's like, Frank, I think somebody's in the house. So Frank gets his gun, and he starts looking around for this person who 
is Michael Amaker, who is living in Frank's house and uh, having relations with Frank's wife and is apparently also armed. Are you starting to see how this setup might have been a setup in a very, very obvious way? Oh, Frank, I think somebody's in the house. So Frank starts looking around for this intruder, and Mr. Amaker is already armed, but apparently not as quick on the draw as Frank was, because Frank shot him, and Amaker shot Frank, and uh, now Tracy's in some trouble. Uh, What she did not tell Frank was that the reported intruder was, in fact, her boyfriend, whom she had been hiding in the home for over a year. Deputies reported that Tracy Reeves routinely delivered meals to him in secret and uh, he would stay at the home for days at a time, limiting his exposure by avoiding trips to the bathroom. Bottles of urine were reportedly found in his room. Oh, also, she's in trouble because she showed up to the police station with meth. Yeah, I think drugs might be involved in this story, folks. President Biden is talking about COVID and the vaccines, telling all of the children to wear masks. So I guess we'll listen to this. Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. More people got new vaccinations in the past month than in the prior two months combined. Mm-hmm. The progress we're making on vaccinations now is going to produce results in the weeks ahead. The sooner you get fully vaccinated, the sooner you'll be protected. According to the experts from the Yale School of Public Health, the pace of our vaccination effort has saved over 100,000 lives and have prevented more than 450,000 hospitalizations. This is critical progress, where we need to move faster. As I mentioned before, very whispery. I've imposed vaccination requirements that will reach millions of Americans. Today, I'm calling on more country more companies, I should say, in the private sector to step up with vaccine requirements that will reach millions more people. If you're a business leader, a nonprofit leader, a state or local leader who has been waiting for full FDA approval to require vaccinations, I call on you now to do that. Require it. Do what I did last this week. Work. Require your employees to get it's vaccinated or face strict requirements. As I said last week, vaccination requirements have been around for decades. Students, healthcare professionals, our troops are typically required what? to receive vaccination to prevent everything from polio to smallpox, measles, mumps, rubella. In fact, the reason most people in America don't worry about polio, smallpox, measles, mumps, and rubella today is because of vaccines. It only makes sense to require a vaccine to stop the spread of COVID-19. With today's FDA full approval, it only makes there's sense. another good reason to get vaccinated. So, please get vaccinated now. What do you mean, please? You're not if asking you go anymore. To vaccines.com. Vaccines.com. Or text your zip code to 438829. 438829. 
you can find a number of vaccine sites near you, just minutes away, where you can get your shot without an appointment. All around the world, people want these vaccines. Here in America, they're free, convenient, and waiting for you. So please go today for yourself, for your loved ones, for your neighbors, for your country. I'll close with this. We're in the midst of a wartime effort to beat this pandemic. It's one of the biggest and most complicated challenges in our history. Well, let's just hope we don't see a withdrawal. And it's based on an unparalleled vaccination program that is saving lives and beating this virus. It's a vaccination program that's getting us back to our loved ones and a way of life we were used to. It's happening. And it's going to keep happening. If you help, it helps our economy. It gets everything moving. It keeps us growing. Together, we've made significant progress in just seven months. We just have to finish the job with science, facts, and confidence. Together, together as the United States of America. So please get vaccinated today. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you. So please get vaccinated, but if you don't, you're totally going to get fired. (laughs) So it's just a, a simple request. We're asking. Is he taking questions or did he walk away? Oh, he's gone. There's, there's, there goes the dome. He's out. <clears throat> yeah. You see, it's a simple request. That's what all requests are, really, right? It's, hey, please do this thing. And if you don't, then we'll just, you know, you won't ever be able to work again. That's all. By the way, this is, this is fascism. You realize that. Like, and I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'm pro-vaccine. Like, you should get one. I encourage people to. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not going to look at you any differently if you don't. It's your call. I had the same call. I chose differently. But um, the vaccine, re- these requirements that they're now pushing, that the that companies, that the private sector is doing at the behest of the government, I'm not sure there's a better definition of like literal fascism than that. Like you've got government through the regulatory state telling businesses, telling the private sector what to do and, and and controlling people's actions via that mechanism. It's, it's a command control type system with a veneer of a free market. That's what's happening. But I'm sure that the anti-fascist folks that were oh so uh, alert and, uh, you know, on a, on a hair trigger for any kind of fascisty behavior out of Trump, they were, I mean, they were like, he's a fascist, a tyrant, authoritarian, and I'm sure they'll get right on this. No, of course they won't. Of course they won't. See, it's only fascism when Donald Trump says something. That's the, fa- that's the only time fascism ever exists is when people on the right want government to do something for them. Well, Pete, this is actually the private sector. Is it, though? Is it really just the private sector do- doing this? They're enacting rules that government wants them to enact. Because but here's the thing. Why, why can't Joe Biden just do a vaccine mandate on everybody on his own? Why, why is he... Re- why is he calling on businesses to do this for him? Because he can't do it, right? That's the idea. Although he said also that he, 
He couldn't do what? What was the other thing he said he couldn't do? And then he immediately turned around and did it. Uh, oh yeah, the evictions on uh, uh, the moratorium on evictions. Said he couldn't do that. Turned around and did it anyway. His former boss, Obama, maybe also current boss. Um, you know, he said he couldn't do the DACA. Turned around and did it anyway. Let me go over here to uh, Sam. Hello, Sam. What's up? How are you? Hello. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Certainly. Uh, the old adage, follow the money, mm-hmm. that that falls in place here. Based on what the president just said over the over the radio, uh, it t- touting that it was free, there is nothing free. True. Especially when it comes from the government. Uh, Biden was in office roughly 50 years. And I dare say, if you follow the money through the lobbyist and everything in dealing with him, you will find that he is probably the chief spokesman for the pharmaceutical industry. That's just my thoughts and my belief. I just thought I would uh, share that with you. Well, there's no doubt that the pharmaceutical companies that have delivered these vaccines, um, there's no doubt that they are profiting from the technology. Now, the free market guy here would say, that's fine. They should profit from their invention. If they, uh, they're the ones who did it, they put it into the market, like they should absolutely profit off of their invention. Sure. Um, I'm 100% agreement with that. I believe in the free market society, too. Mm-hmm. But when the government is propping up the pharmacy, uh, look on the... TV commercials, radio commercials now. The TV, the, the, the commercials have been replaced by the pharmaceutical industry, uh, replaced the tobacco, the mm-hmm. alcohol, and I don't know what else, but if you look at the number of commercials on TV, about every third one is a pharmaceutical ad. Yeah. Well, fear sells, and people are afraid that something's going, something's wrong with them, and then they're going to go to their doctor and say, hey, I saw this advertisement. I want that pill. And we are Americans, so we do want our therapy in a bottle, right? So if I don't have to change my lifestyle and I can keep doing whatever I'm doing and you just give me these pills, I'll totally do that instead. News Talk 1110 wbt 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I've got a couple of the studies. I, I touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the program. I will get back to them now. I've got some studies that have been coming out on the masking and the vaccinations. And um, I encourage everybody, if you are listening to me right now, thank you, first of all. But if, you are, uh, if, you're, if you're hearing this, I encourage everybody to read beyond the headlines, especially on social media. Headlines are designed to get you to click the link. As such, they are often misleading. Newspapers have been doing this since their existence began. Television stations have been doing this since their existence began. Right? The tease, the headline, the the promotion of the thing like no one's going to buy your newspaper if you're out there, you know, peddling it, screaming, absolutely nothing happened. Read all about it. 
That's not a way to get eyeballs, right? So they want you, and fear sells. Fear sells really, really well. Advertisers know this. Sociologists know this. Media people know this. You know this. Everybody knows this. So uh, please read beyond the headlines, and you will find, as I have, and I'm going to bring to you here in a minute, the stories don't actually, the stories tell you way more than just the headline. And when you read them in the context, you'll see how the headline was designed to manipulate. First, let me go over here to Stan. He's been waiting for a very long time. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete, how are you? Hey. You, I, you obviously I, knew what I was going to talk about. Um, I, the, the, the Charleston, the, the three uh, school employees that passed away, the way this was reported, it just tells you three people working for the school system passed away from COVID this week. And, and, and then they come right back in behind that and go, and school started last week. Inferring that open the schools that don't have mandatory masks is what actually caused this. When in reality, you should know that the odds are that they, they got came to school this week, got COVID this week, and died this week from being in school. The odds of that are probably still nil, nil to none. Right, and, and I, I'm aware of the story. I've not, I've not gone in depth on that story to know, like how they contracted it or anything else. Well, 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 well here's the point. Here's the point. Number one, were, were they vaccinated? Number two, did they get it from the school or somewhere else? And that is pertinent to the story. And then, but then they followed that up right. with the same newscast. Sixty percent of Americans think that they that they want their kids masked in school. And it makes you feel like if you question anything like that, that, that you are a right-wing lunatic. So my question is, I'm sure if I went to Raleigh or I went to Burlington or Greensboro or Kansas City, Missouri, the same thing was reported. So in the news industry, how is the indoctrination disseminated to us? And, and the poll, by the way, is wanting to know how well the indoctrination is working. Sure. I mean, that's what all public sentiment, I mean, you, I mean indoctrination, yes, but also popular sentiment, right? Yeah, it, it's to test to see, is the narrative taking? Is it calcifying? Sure. Right, right. And, and they know that most people aren't going to do what you just said. They're too busy. They're just going to get the headline and go on with life. Mm-hmm. Sure. That, and that's why being a reporter, being a journalist, working in news organizations is a, is a really big responsibility. I've always viewed it as that. I still view my job as that as well. Like, it's a really important role, but also it carries with it a lot of responsibility. People hear what I say, and they don't have the time to go and research all of this stuff. And so a lot of times people will believe what I say, and I recognize that. And, uh, and like, I've worked with other people. This was at a different place, and I used to call him my comrade through the glass because he worked as a he was a left wing liberal talk show host. He worked at a sister station and there was a glass partition that literally separated the two studios. And I would I called him my comrade through the glass and he would make all of these wild, completely irresponsible statements. But he he didn't come from a news or a broadcasting background. And uh, and that's why he would say this stuff, because to him, it was just his Facebook page that he was speaking. You know, he was just like reading these things on the air. And it's like, no, there you you have you have a responsibility to try to ensure that people are getting more context than just a blaring headline that is incorrect or a mean. Well, OK, so, yeah. so in terms of news and information, what are some sources or places that you can go about actually uh, in, a, in a short amount of time, if you're a busy person, well, how can you make sure that you're actually getting the accurate information as opposed to what they want disseminated? So a couple of things. First, find people like reporters, journalists, read the bylines, 
find people that you trust and follow their work. Um, okay. that, so that, that, that's one tip. The other is, uh, and then of course, you know, if they're published at a place, then you can see some of that other stuff. But the big one that I, and I do this on every story basically that I, that I come across, um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, essentially it's lateral research. So at, and think of it like you open up your web browser, you have a story there on the first tab. And as you go through the story, you see something, it has a link to it, or even if it doesn't, it, as soon as you see something that raises some question for your, for you, you then take that, open up another tab, and you move to the right laterally across the browser, and you add those search topics, you add the people, you, you, you query things, and you just build off to the right side on every story that you read. And you may have three, four, five, six tabs open as you're reading through that initial story. And then, and then as you, you know, you, you, when, once you're satisfied with whatever information you come across, then you, you close out the tab. But here's a good one, too, is when, you're, when someone says something uh, or they're like, hey, here's this study, you just type in that quote or that person or that study and then type bad next to it and search that and see what shows up. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Here's a good example of what I was talking about. Here's the headline. Study supports widespread use of better masks to curb COVID-19 indoors. Oh, really? A study supports widespread use of better masks to curb COVID-19 indoors. This is out of Waterloo. Famous resting place of Napoleon. A news. I'm just kidding. It's the... University of Waterloo, uh, Canada, right? Yeah. A new study is highlighting a need for widespread use of better face masks and the importance of good ventilation to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 indoors. Oh, so also ventilation. So that's part of the study too? Because the headline just said better masks. But then the first sentence says, and the importance of good ventilation. Interesting. Engineering researchers at the University of Waterloo performed experiments using a mannequin to simulate a seated person breathing in a large room. The studies showed a significant buildup over time of aerosol droplets, exhaled droplets, or as I call them, lung juice. So tiny are these droplets that they remain suspended and they just travel through the air, despite the use of common cloth and blue surgical masks. Wait, what? The study showed a significant buildup over time of aerosol droplets, despite the use of common cloth and blue surgical masks. So the mannequin wearing the mask is, ex- is exhaling the lung juice with a mask on, and it's still building up in the room. I've talked about this. The Japanese did this study over a year ago. When COVID first hit, it was one of the first videos I shared. I've talked about it repeatedly over the last year and a half. And it shows like a, it's like a little black box room. And they put these two guys in it and they talk to each other. And as they're talking, 
it's all blacked out, so they can't see anything. But then they've got these like green lasers that are like beaming across the room, and you can see the particles that are being exhaled and expelled from their mouths as they talk. And most of the stuff that they expel is uh, heavy and falls to the ground, right? Like these little pieces of, well, debris, right? They fall to the ground. But then you have the lung juice that just is, so, the, the particles, the droplets are so small, they, they just suspend in the air. They don't fall. They just hang out there. And when I saw that, I was like, I'm never speaking in another room with another human being ever again, because that's disgusting. Because you're obviously going to be breathing that in, right? So we've known this, and they said at the time, the best way to combat that is to open a window. Open a window. I have been, I have been lobbying for the fourth W for a year and a half now. Make the fourth W windows or wind. I don't understand why this is such an overlooked part of the equation. If you're going to, I mean, you, you create this campaign, like in North Carolina, the three W's, right? Wash your hands, wear your mask, and wait six feet apart. And that one never, that was always a stretch. That's one of those things where it's like you're trying to make the acronym work. You know, you're just trying to like square peg, round hole that thing. And uh, the W, the windows, made way more sense. There's no question it is beneficial to wear any face covering, both for protection in close proximity and at a distance in a room, said Serhi Yarusevich. 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 I think that's how he pronounces that. A professor of mechanical and megatron or sorry, mechatronics engineering and the leader of the study. Quote, however, there is a very serious difference in the effectiveness of different masks when it comes to controlling aerosols. <gasps> really? Different masks have different effectiveness levels. The study showed that the most common masks, primarily due to problems with fit, so they don't fit right. They filter about roughly 10% of exhaled aerosol droplets. That's the stuff they catch. The, the most common masks filter about 10% of exhaled aerosol droplets. The remaining aerosols are simply redirected, usually out the top of the mask. They go right out the top of the mask. Why? The gap around the nose. And so it goes into the atmosphere. So this is the study that you've probably seen shared on social media that people are using that are anti-mask. Because this is quite clearly <laughs> proof that the masks do not work so well. 10% of the exhaled aerosol. And look, I get it. And this, is, and this was my argument for months, which is that the masks do work to a very, very limited degree. So when people say they don't work, it's not necessarily true because it's more nuanced than that. It's more complex than that, as are a lot of things in life, right? So they, they do work, but they only work a very, very, very little bit. And so 
if you got 10 people in a room for two hours or so, okay, fine, you're, uh, you're, you're blocking 10% of their lung juice. But that still leaves like 900% because I'm multiplying there and I was told there'd be no math, so don't check me on that. But there, there's way more of the lung juice that's escaping the masks that are in the room now. So you have this false sense of security. Right? You're, people are running around with these security blankets strapped to their faces, and they're saying that this is going to protect me. This is going to save lives. It's 10%, unless, of course, you're rolling with one of the N95 masks. But even those are not so hot either. Listen to this. The more expensive N95 and the KN95 masks, which I wasn't even aware such a thing existed, those masks filter more than 50 percent of the aerosols 50 so it's a half half shot those are the best masks you can get and those are only half and half. those are only 50 percent Eurosevich, the principal investigator in the fluid mechanics research lab said the much greater effectiveness of n95 and kn95 masks versus cloth and surgical masks makes a compelling case that they should be worn in indoor settings like schools and workplaces as much as possible. So we're, okay, so we're going to strap up the kids, the seven-year-olds. We're going to strap them up with the N95 masks. This is what he's, this is what he's arguing. This is what is proof of his experiment. Now, the experiment also quantified the impact of ventilation systems, which circulate and replace air in rooms. Even modest ventilation rates were found to be as effective as the best masks. That's the headline, folks. That's the headline. Modest ventilation rates were as effective as the very best masks. Which do you think would be the better course to take here, folks? What's the better course to take? Masking up the babies with N95 masks all day long while they're in school or maybe a modest ventilation system. How about that? So a study conducted by some fluid guys, well, they're experts, the Fluid Mechanics Research Lab um, this is actually a uh, research paper that was published in the journal Physics of Fluids, which I have on my bedstand. I don't know about you. Um, experimental investigation of indoor aerosol dispersion and accumulation in the context of COVID-19. Effects of masks and ventilation. And what the science and data, what they say is... Even modest ventilation rates are as effective as the best masks in reducing the risk of transmission. So, what are our options here? Well, the study author, Yarusevich, he says, well, we should do both. We should mask up all the kids in the high-quality masks and do the proper ventilation. We should do both. Because if you put all of the kids and everybody in the schools and everybody everywhere, I guess, if everybody's wearing the N95 or the KN95 masks, then that will cut your transmission by 50% of your exhaled aerosols, right? That's what the 50% reduction. That's the best mask. 
if you're wearing what most people are wearing, the cloth masks and the little paper masks, the blue surgical masks, you're wearing those things, you're only stopping about 10%. 90% of your exhaled lung juice gets into the atmosphere. It remains suspended in the air, and it doesn't go anywhere. So, ventilation. But when you start looking from a cost-benefit analysis, does it make sense to outfit every single man, woman, uh, man, woman, and child in America and around the planet, basically, right, to mask everybody with these N95 masks in perpetuity and do the ventilation, modest ventilation, or, just hear me out, maybe we just open some windows. How about that? Could we open a bunch more windows, get some fans blowing around, increase the, the air circulation? Like, just to start with, that's not, a, that's not a very costly idea, is to open windows. There are other, obvious, there are other steps you can do, better air circulation systems, filtration systems, right? You can start going down those paths, but at a very primitive level, we're just talking about ventilation, Get some airflow. Move the lung juice out of the area that's currently suspended in the air. Move it around. Get it out of there. Which brings me to this next story that I've got. And this one's near and dear to my heart because I stare at one, two, three of them every single day while I'm in studio. Is these ridiculous plastic barriers that uh, are, you know, they're... They've got them in the schools. You've seen them, right? They, they've got them. At, we saw them at uh, restaurants and bars. They've got like all these dividers and stuff. Headline, New York Times. Why anti-COVID plastic barriers in classrooms and restaurants may make things worse. Intuition tells us that a plastic shield would be protective against germs. It actually does not mean. It does not. It is not intuitive to me, but. It's intuitive to, I guess, the New York Times reporter who just describes this idea of intuitiveness to all human beings because they themselves think it's intuitive. But scientists who study aerosols, airflow, and ventilation say that much of the time the barriers don't help and probably give people a false sense of security. This is why I call this theater. This is very much like security theater after TS, uh, after, uh, 9-11 with the TSA, a lot of the stuff is just window dressing. It's designed to make us feel better. As I mentioned earlier about the cloth masks, they're not very good. You'd be better off opening your windows and turning on some fans. And by the way, this also tracks very nicely with the times of um, uh, the periods of time where people are indoors breathing recirculated air more often when they're in their homes a lot more. And in the South, that's in the summertime. That's why we have a lot of, we saw spikes in the summertime in the South, I think. Sometimes these barriers, these plastic barriers, make things worse. Research suggests, so we don't know this, you know, capital K, know this, because it's research merely suggesting more experiments would need to be done, but research suggests that in some instances, a barrier protecting a clerk behind a checkout counter may redirect the germs to another worker or customer. Well, isn't that interesting? So when I put up all of these barriers, I'm redirecting stuff without even knowing it. So when I put an obstacle in front of something, it 
forces that something to go around the obstacle. I never would have considered such sciency data. Thanks a lot, Pete. You're welcome. Yeah, so if you're like right here between the gap, you're just getting the viral load of a lifetime right there. Right in between these barriers is where it's most... Anyway. Um, Rows of clear plastic shields, like those you might find at a nail salon or in a classroom, can also impede normal airflow and ventilation. It's almost as if they built rooms and buildings with an idea of how the airflow would work. And when you put up all of these structures, it messes with that plan. Under normal conditions in stores, classrooms, and offices, exhaled breath particles disperse, and they're carried by air currents. And depending on the ventilation system, they are then replaced by fresh air roughly every 15 to 30 minutes. But erecting plastic barriers can change the airflow of a room, disrupting normal ventilation and create what are called dead zones, where people get COVID and immediately die and the bodies pile up. No, I'm kidding. A dead zone is where viral aerosol particles build up and become highly concentrated. Interesting. So you put up all the barriers, and I've seen the ones in the classrooms, especially because, like, those are built, they're like these little U's, right, that they put on the kids' desks. And so the little kid is sitting in this trapped little cube, this little U, right, and he's just breathing into his mask, which is only like 10% effective, and then all the rest of it's escaping around the mask, and then it's like building up in this little cube around him. Because the airflow that would normally push all of that out, it's hitting the barrier, and the air is going around. And so all of these kids are like sitting in dead zones, That's the science, people. I'm not making it up. This is this is from the New York Times, so hardly some right-wing publication is giving you that news story. Also, did you know that the European CDC, they do not recommend masks in schools for kids under the age of 12? So I guess the CDC, European version, they are anti-science and want children to die. We're learning so much. We really are. You'll learn a lot more also when... Brett Winterbull takes over in a couple of minutes right here on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.